We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovics. Joining me today is Gareth Soloway, President and Chief Market Strategist of InTheMoneyStocks.com and VerifiedInvestingCrypto.com. Gareth, thanks for joining me again today. Always a pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having me. So, you know, you and I have spoken quite a few times about the markets and about how really the Fed is unfortunately kind of in control of things at this point. So has the Fed really followed a path that you anticipated to this point? Did you think that we were going to get this high? Did you think they were going to be this resolute in what they were thinking? How have you seen this situation develop? So I do think that they followed the path that they should have followed. The question is, is are they not anticipating or they are they not looking forward enough at the future of what's going to ultimately happen, right? So, so basically you had a scenario where at first it was transitory and we're talking inflation here. And then once it became apparent that it wasn't trans transitory, they reacted really quickly and they jacked these rates up basically almost to 5% at this point on the Fed funds. And so then the, the question is, is, are they now focusing on the negatives of inflation more than what could occur in the economy due to high in, high uh, interest rates over the longer term? And I think that's the thing that for me is keeping me up at night is to think about, okay, well, if they keep interest rates here, at what point does the economy start to slip and how bad of a slip does it happen, right? Because you know they were talking transitory and then it was the opposite. So now they're talking soft landing or minor recession. Do we actually end up getting a big, big recession? or a depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like these two things are really diametrically opposed. You know, trying to fight inflation while trying to have high unemployment. It seems like those those are are two opposite, you know, goals and and the Fed has to affect the market in completely orthogonal ways to be able to achieve that. So does the Fed ultimately need to cause a major contraction in the economy and higher unemployment to bring that inflation back down to their 2% target? And do you think that they'll have the political capital and wherewithal to be able to achieve that effect? So I, I think that in their mind, they're hoping that they just have to cause a minor recession or or some sort of you know happy medium in there. Um, my biggest fear is that there are so many, it's kind of a house of cards that they've built, right? Everything is reliant on Fed stimulus, free money, um, government spending, all of these factors. And that once you start jacking up rates and you keep rates for high for a certain amount of time, what types of things could break in the system? And again, going back to like 2007, going into the 08, 09 Great Recession, we know that the derivatives market just started to collapse and it was really uncontrollable at that point. And that's kind of my biggest fear is that it's the unintended consequences of what they're doing that ultimately could lead to a bigger collapse. And I am calling for a long-term recession. So I think that we're going to get in a scenario where the economy does slip into recession. It probably won't be Great Depression-like, but the Fed will be reluctant to lower interest rates quickly because of what happened to Paul Volcker in the 80s. And therefore, you're going to have an economy that doesn't know how to get back on its feet without low interest rates, without government spending, and without stimulus. And therefore, we're going to be stuck in this long, protracted kind of uh, recession, probably two to three years it could be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is it is it simply because the Fed has always come riding to the rescue and had that ability to, you know, dump 
QE into the markets and and cut rates. And that's why the markets won't ultimately know how to climb out of that recession without that. Yeah, I, that's what I think. I think the the markets and the economy and even individuals, right? I mean, we've always been so used to ever since 09. And even before that, you could argue that the Fed has always come to the rescue. But I think really since 09, when they started quantitative easing, where they actually were printing money and flooding the economy, you've seen the uh, equity markets really responsive to that, you know, all of these things going on. And that really creates a scenario where the market and investors are are so reliant. It's almost like a drug addict and, and, their, and their drug dealer dealer where we become very reliant on that stimulus. And so once you take it away, right now, there's still like that high, like, okay, maybe they'll come back in. Once the market realizes they're not coming to the rescue, I think that's where all out panic starts. And again, the economy, you know, think about this, when people talk about a recovery, like, okay, let's see, say we slip into a recession, where does it come in where the economy does it naturally? How does the economy naturally get out of a recession? We don't know how to do that anymore. It's all reliant on, oh, well, whenever the Fed, Fed prints money, that's when we'll get out of the recession. That's a horrible place to be. I mean, we are reliant on this one entity to get us out of this recession. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we've seen these lag effects from the rate hikes start to have its effect on the markets? Yeah, I do think so. I think I think the jobs number this Friday is going to be very important, you know, whether or not that shows the starts to show the weakness. But if you look at the metrics within the underground economy, so for instance, credit card debt is skyrocketing. I think it's even higher than it was pre-COVID. Uh, if you look at car loan defaults, car loan defaults are starting to skyrocket as well. And so while the, the jobs market still seems to be holding its own, it to me is just on the precipice of a bigger collapse that we're going to start to see in the second half of this year. And I do think by the second half, of 2023, we will say, you'll st start hearing the metrics that we are in a recession. The key is the Fed's going to kind of say, oh, it's going to be a shallow recession, while I actually think it'll be a long drawn out recession. Mm -hmm. With you know those two factors, as you just mentioned, that the consumer credit, you know, new all-time high, and also the new high in auto defaults, are those just serious indicators of going into that recession that you're talking about? I do think so, right? I mean, we had the the emergence out of COVID where people had saved up money, they actually paid down debt, and then they went crazy and they started spending. And the spending, again, hasn't really stalled that much yet. So people get very addicted to living a certain way. It's hard to cut back spending when you get used to a certain lifestyle. So I think that's what's going on, and they're starting to run up that debt. They're starting to have to make the decisions, okay, do we, you know, we have three cars, do we pay the loans on all these cars, or maybe just we, we just focus on one car if we can't pay the other ones. I mean, what are the bills that start to go by? You know, these these pay-as-you-go type purchase things like a firm and other, other companies where you can buy something and pay a monthly amount with an interest. You know, those are those are companies that are now starting to get some trouble because people are saying, you know what? I, what if I don't pay for this TV that I bought? Is it that big of a deal? I need to pay my cell phone. I need to pay my rent. But what are the the bills that I can say, okay, I don't have to pay these? And I think that's the beginnings of what's coming, the beginning signals of a recession that is coming. Mm -hmm. So once we do get a recession of that type, Gareth, do we get, you know, how does that affect the rest of the world? Are there countries that are somewhat isolated from that or does it become a kind of worldwide phenomenon? 
I mean, I, I do think it bleeds over into most of the world. Um, I mean, there's obviously going to be countries that aren't as influenced by the consumer spending of the U.S., but I, I do think like China, for instance, China, while they will be influenced because we're not buying as many goods, they didn't see the inflation that we saw. So they're able to stimulate a little bit more, and they're going through a pretty bad real estate uh, period right now as well. But I think, again, they can insulate themselves because they haven't seen that same sort of uh, inflation that the, the Western world has seen. So I do think that there's areas to invest. I also think that any country that has a lot of minerals or metals in the ground, that's going to be an interesting play as well. Well, their economies probably do a lot better. Um, you know, South America, for instance, is a very interesting economy to me to start investing in or shying away from U.S. as well as China. I think China also is an interesting economy in the in the next twelve to eighteen months. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that now that China is opening back up, that they start to see some of the inflation that they might have staved off by being locked down for so long? I think that is a good good assessment. I do think that that is a possibility. I think you know it's it's a twofold thing. You're going to have a, a surge in demand after the lockdowns kind of end, which is what we're seeing in China already, which is inflationary. But at least a lot of the goods that they consume, you didn't see the same sort of inflation yet. And again, that'll be something that we have to watch. Does it does are they a lagging indicator? Do they ultimately have that inflation surge later on and have to deal with it the same way as the rest of the world has? So how does that affect? you know, really the energy and industrial metals like copper and steel, if they, you know, you have this balance on one side that they're increasing demand, and then you have a drop in demand from the other side. How do you see that, you know, equation balancing out? Yeah. So I, I think that for the most part, you have to look at it and say, okay, there's a, a tendency for China to obviously China is one of the biggest consumers of copper, right? They're the, the biggest buyers of copper. So with them reopening, you have to anticipate that you'll see a pretty big pop in the copper demand. So even offsetting what the rest of the world may be contracting on. So I do think copper can, can stay at least in the near term, um, relatively strong, maybe even show some additional upside. But I do think that we still have to watch those inflation numbers coming out of China, because if China starts to see that pop inflation and has to then clamp down on their economy, you could also see that pullback later on. But I do think those industrial metals are worth keeping an eye on. Um, silver is another one that's kind of tricky, right? Because the rest of the world with batteries and, and so forth, you see silver really being an industrial metal plus a store of safety. But at the same time, does China help offset that with their demand? And again, it's a tricky market right now when you're dealing with that. Like gold is a very pure play, right? But the other metals are a little trickier because of the economic slowdowns and expansions in different countries. Yeah, really, because of that entire balance, there's so many things that go into really that equation of trying to figure that out versus, you know, maybe gold, as you bring up, that was your, I believe, your your favorite pick for last year, right? That's right. That's right. And it continues to be so. Um, gold, again, is is one of those where, you know, you have to look at it and say, OK, if the Fed really causes a tailspin in the economy to get inflation underneath 2 percent, then gold is still attractive because it's it's a fear. It's a fear trade. When people fear the economy, they fear being in stocks, they rotate to gold. If the Fed says, hey, listen, we got to start cutting interest rates, we got to kind of do all that, well, then gold's an awesome investment as well. So I'm still in the camp that in terms of risk versus reward, gold is still the place to be for safety. Um, whether or not it's going to be the best performer this year between the S&P and the Bitcoin chart, I still am in that camp, but so far it hasn't been that way this year. So, Gareth, in what scenario do you see gold really start to accelerate? Is it highly correlated to the interest rate cycle or 
you know, is it is it something else that you're looking at more so to drive that gold price? So with gold, it's interesting, right? Because it seems like gold performs really well when the market anticipates a pause in rates or a lower rate. Um, right now, for instance, today, we're seeing a drop in gold because the Jerome Powell, before his testimony in front of Congress, he came out and was very, very hawkish, maybe insinuating even a higher interest rate needs to needs to come into play. So I think, I think right now, as soon as the Fed goes to the sidelines and even stops hiking, that's where gold will take off. Um, right now, though, again, we have to watch for that to be the next catalyst. But I, I do think that gold, again, tests the 2070 highs from 20, I think it was 2021, and even going back to 2019 or so, Some those highs should get tested this year. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, thinking about, you know, some type of another black swan or geopolitical tensions escalating a little bit more, that acts as a boon for the metals as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, again, the initial response might be panic and fear, which causes the quick dip. And we saw it in COVID and then gold just roared out of that at that period. So yes, absolutely. Any sort of fear, uncertainty, where you don't know what the economy is going to do, where where earnings may be declining. I think that's the catalyst. And that's part of the catalyst for my bull case for gold over the next couple of years is where if we get in an environment where we're in a recession, and that means an earnings recession and earnings growth starts to subside and go negative. Well, the question is, well, where do you invest your money, right? If if the economy's in this long period of of negativity, the only option or one of the only options is going to be that gold trade. And I actually do think that you'll look at like the GDX, miners, all of these as being the big bull players for the next couple years. Mm-hmm. So why don't we go to some charts if we can, Gareth? You know, maybe we can start with the S&P and kind of, you know, get your thoughts towards that. We've kind of seen you know, lower lows until that trend has recently really seen a break. Do you see a sharper downside coming for the S&P here? Yeah, absolutely. So so right now what we have, and I think this is a really important chart of the S&P to zoom out to when we were at the all-time highs back in December of 2021, because what we saw is we saw basically one leg lower, two legs lower, and then three legs lower. And from that third leg lower, even though we've rallied off the lows, you can see it's kind of a bear flag development or a bear a bear wedge pattern. And so my expectation is that we're going to start to break below this upsloping trend line here. And once that happens, you'll have a few stopping points along the way. But my guess is within about six weeks, we're back to the October, uh, or should, I should say the February 2020 highs, which were the pre-COVID highs just before this dip in COVID. So, so again, for me, this is this is a period of consolidation. It's also a period of hope, which is kind of a sad thing to say. But we've seen stocks like GameStop and AMC and Bed Bath Beyond, and you know, crypto's really caught a bid. People have been trying to relive the glory days of 2021, mm-hmm. and and unfortunately, the difference is you have interest rates where they are. You don't have the government sending checks to Americans. You don't have quantitative easing. So it's way different. But there's this tendency for human psychology to really want to revisit those good old days. And I think that's what's been keeping the market up. You've seen buy the dip come back in in the stock market as well. And I think at this at, at some point, we're going to see a breakdown of that. To me, if you look at this chart, we're still making lower highs. And I think institutions are playing the smart game here and unloading into that small investor buying. And that's never a good thing. That means lower lows are coming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Gareth, as as the S&P is made up of all these different companies, a lot of which will be, you know, very likely rotating debt, refinancing debt, um, that obviously comes into play in a big way here, probably within the next year or two, right? Like what is your timeline on that? 
Yeah. So that, and then that's going to be the next big hurdle, right? I mean, so this is the crazy thing is that it, the whether it's intended consequences or unintended consequences of higher rates, I mean, think about the debt, right? When we're talking about how much interest alone on the United States debt is going to be, is going to be, you know, of every dollar in taxes that I pay or you pay or anyone pays, how much of that is going to just pay interest on the debt when the interest rates have gone up this much. And then you talk about corporate debt. Corporate debt is relatively high and all these companies are going to have to refinance at these higher levels, it's going to drag down earnings immensely. And then you talk about the impact on you know all the layoffs. I think just again, I heard that Meta's laying off again. I mean, every day companies, these mega cap companies are laying off, and that eventually will filter through the entire economy where you have less consumer spending. So it it basically all is is like so many like like tentacles, but it all goes back to the fact that the economy will take a dump, eventually sliding into a recession. Mm-hmm. So then let's let's look at the gold chart if we could, Gareth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So here's your gold chart. And you can see today a nasty, nasty down day on gold because, again, Jerome Powell basically came out and said, hey, maybe a 50 basis point hike is going to be warranted. I think we have to wait till Friday's jobs number to know for sure. If the jobs mm-hmm. number is strong, then yes, it does look like a 50 basis point hike is coming. But I do, I still think that, again, this is a short term thing. Even if they hike 50 basis points, you're going to have over the next couple months some weaker data and maybe even weaker jobs data that's going to push the Fed back to basically neutral meaning they're not hiking anymore. And that's going to be the bull case for gold. So we've had this big move off the lows of November in gold. It's now having a retrace, which is very, very normal. For me, I think generally this 1800 level remains very, very strong. And I would expect a move up that takes out this trend line at around 1945 and eventually blasts off to this double top up here around 2070. Mm -hmm. So what happens if we break below that $1,800 level, Gareth? Is mm-hmm. there is there further downside support or, or maybe what is that next downside support level? Yeah. So the next big level is going to be this one right here, which is around $1,730. And so that is possible. I mean, if, if we really see the economic data continuing to be super, super strong and the Fed has to continue to raise, let's say the next three meetings even, then you likely would see a downshift in gold. The one thing I would say is this, is that think about this, right? Think about the bigger picture on gold, right? Here's your move from 2018 to 2020. And now think about where interest rates were in 2020 and think about where they are now and look at where it is. I mean, in in reality, if you told me going back to 2020 that rates were going to go to 5% on the Fed funds, which is the likely target now, maybe even above that, I would have said gold's back to like 1,500, maybe 1,300. Here it is at above 1,800 with interest rates as high as they've gone. To me, that tells me it's a bullish setup that's going to break out. And in fact, if you look at this up move here, and this is all sideways consolidation. In fact, let me show you this. There's a, a beautiful parallel channel here that I can draw in. Look at that. So really, again, up move, and this is bullish consolidation that's inevitably going to lead, and again, probabilities, this is probability-based, to a bigger breakout to the upside. It's also important to go back, and again, let me go to my monthly chart here. I want to show you guys this on this chart, and again, bear with me as I go into this chart here, but this is the 1970s. 
And what we saw here is the same thing. This is this is a move from 72 to 75, which mirrors the 2018 to 2020 move that we saw. Then you saw this consolidation period, which is exactly what we're doing right now. And then look at the aftermath and the run in gold in the 70s into the early 80s. So I'm, I'm seeing the same things here. And you can mimic the inflation issues, the same thing that the market's going through with higher interest rates. But again, think about this. In the 80s, we had insanely high interest rates. In fact, I still remember my grandparents put a small amount of money for me away and they were getting like 15% on it per year. Wow. And and ultimately look at the run that that the uh that gold had even in spite of that. And mm -hmm. I think that's what investors are missing here is that gold has this potential to again maybe not 10x like this chart, but just think about 3x, 3x over $5,000 per ounce in the next 3 years. I absolutely think that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. How long was that consolidation period, you know, that run down. It looks like about two years, right? Yep. From 75 to 70, almost 77. So okay. basically it was about two years, which if you think about it, right, we're kind of on the end of that cusp of that two-year span, give or take a little bit. And that again, has me thinking that if we're mimicking this period, this is what we're starting now. This little up move could be this. And you can see there were little pullbacks along the way, like we're seeing mm -hmm. now, but it was the start of a much bigger move to the upside. So if we get a $5,000 gold price, what does the GDX chart look like? Oh that? my gosh. Does, does that just bring, <laughs> you know, a ton of investors into gold miners because that's a very easy vehicle for them to access? Yes. In fact, you know, if you think about it, you know, I, and you, you've, I know you're in the gold markets and stuff, but you know, every, every 10 years or so, we see these crazy moves in some of the gold miners. Right. And, and I think that that's probably what we're getting on the verge of. In fact, if you look at the GDX, the GDX is a really nice chart here where you broke lower here and you kind of form this little mountain reverse mountain top bottom. And then you got back above this level and that's what we're holding here. So again, I think that that's probably going to hold. If not, we go a little bit lower to about $25 and 25 cents. But ultimately, the the move up should be epic. I mean, you'll see the GDX north of you know could be a hundred dollars. And wow. again, understand that you know obviously that's that's contingent on a gold move like what we saw in the seventies. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it, there's there's to me this is the one area where I think you know could it drop could gold drop 10, 15, 20 percent? Sure, but it's unlikely to drop more than that. Versus if you're in stocks, you got to be real careful. I mean, we've seen stocks over the last year or so that have gone down 75 percent, 80 percent. It's unlikely to see that in gold. And again, I think the upside is equally amazing. The possibilities there. Mm -hmm. So how about for silver? You know, you you mentioned earlier that the industrial side of it really can affect the price action but do you do you see that same type of upside and volatility for silver or is it more dramatic yeah, I think I think silver is a little trickier to gauge here because again that industrial side. So if we do get a slowdown in the economy, if a global slowdown, how does it affect it? And I think you can see that being reflected in 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 silver here, right? So if we look at silver, it's making a short term lower low here on this big sell off day. If we go back to the gold chart, gold hasn't gone back to that low from just basically a week or so ago. Mm -hmm. So that is showing you that there is a little bit more of an influence on silver. Now, having said that, I still think if your time horizon is is long enough, 6, 12, 18 months, that silver should perform really, really well. My guess is, though, first silver needs to go down to this trend line here, which is only about 90 cents lower on silver. So it's not a huge move down, about 4% lower. But again, that would be my guess is there's still some weakness in silver. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, a lot of us know that a lower dollar is good for the metals as well. What do you see as the path forward for the dollar, Gareth? 
Yeah, and the dollar is just having a monstrous move today. Obviously, the metals being down like this, that's showcasing what the what the dollar is doing in the inverse. And so the big question is, are we breaking out of this little resistance area on the dollar? And if we are, then you have another move up on the dollar that could continue. Um, in, in my analysis, this would be your next target price. So we're looking at around 108, just under 108, which again, if that happens, it's going to push gold down a little bit more. It's going to push silver down a little bit more, and it's going to put push equity prices down even more so. So again, I'm not sold yet on the fact that the dollar is really breaking out here because we're just peaking above this trend line. Mm -hmm. But what I'll be watching for, and this will be the big data point of the week, is that jobs number on Friday. If the jobs number comes in very strong, then the dollar is going to rip higher. If the jobs comes jobs data comes in a little bit weaker than expectations, I think the dollar starts to pull back and recognize that the Fed will do 25 basis points. But then there's a possibility with the jobs numbers weakening, maybe they'll go to the sidelines. And again, that would be hugely bullish for the metals. Mm -hmm. How about energy, Gareth? You know, there's, again, that seems like this picture that there seems to be a lot of a lot of different things to take into account to to understand what's really going to affect the oil price but how do you see that yeah. So, I mean, today we're seeing a big drop in oil, but I have to say oil's performed really well recently. It's had a little bit of a breakout of this wedge pattern. Mm -hmm. And so even a pullback here, I think you stay with a neutral to bullish bullish bias on, on oil. Um, Short-term resistance is going to be about $82.50 here. If it breaks above that, you could be looking at $94, $93 on oil. Um, The only thing you would not want oil to do that would change my bias from near-term bullish would be is if this trend line here breaks, right? So, if price, and I'll even erase this one, if price were to fall and take out this line, this upsloping trend line, then very quickly you probably head back down. So, so for me, anything in this range, I probably wouldn't be a buyer yet at 78 on oil. But if it gets down to 75, 76 dollars, or even down to this 74 area, I do think you look for it on a short-term bullish trade to the upside. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just sticking with that, you know, technical analysis side of things, Gareth, if we could. How long and, and what type of action would constitute, let's say, breaking below that trend line for you? Is it a daily close? Is it a weekly close? Is it you know a percentage below that trend line? How do you analyze that? Yeah, that's a good question because again, we've seen little, you know, the charts will pierce levels, right? And the question is, is that a real breakdown or a fake breakdown? There's there's a, a technical analysis tool I use. It's called the confirmation signal. So what I like to see is a close below a level in this case. And then I would need to see that on one of the following days, it closes below the low of the that that breakdown candle. So for instance, let's say we close here at 7440. I would need to see one of the next days actually close below 7440, and that confirms it. And the reason why I use that is because there's a lot of algorithms that know that buyers and sellers are hinging on these trend lines mm -hmm. and they'll they love to mess around with us and they love to take our money. So they'll they'll knock it below knowing that a bunch of people will stop out of a long position, shorts will be taken, and then sometimes they'll rip it back in the opposite direction. And we've all experienced that in trading. And so what I've found is that when you confirm, when you do what I just explained, at that point it takes too much money for the algorithms to force it back above that line and and kind of cancel the, the downside out. And so that's the unlikely scenario if, the, if it confirms that it wouldn't be a breakdown, it probably is a breakdown. Mm -hmm. So exactly, you know, thinking about exactly what you just explained, if we could, could you pull up the natural gas futures chart? And mm -hmm. is that a good example of what we've recently seen there? 
Yeah, so so this is it is an interesting one here, right? So so this is the chart of Nat Gas, and uh, what we can see is that we've just had an epically big fall. I think it's amazing if we look at this, right? Look at where it bottomed out here. And again, I love just showing charts here. I'm going to go to my weekly chart, but we had very significant support here, pivot high, pivot low, right through here, and that was the low. And then you have this down sloping trend line that connects right to that same level. So we got a beautiful rally off that that level. Now we've seen a pretty big pullback on natural gas. The question is, well, where is your level going to be? And ultimately, I think by by summer, by some point in summer, natural gas trades up to this 360, 350 level. Mm -hmm. And the question then is, if, how would you know if it's a breakout? And the answer is, don't trust to close above. You got to wait for that confirmation. If it confirms above, then it's likely a breakout. But until then, it to me, it seems like we're in this in this trading range where you're between this area and just kind of you could easily come back and test the lows here or actually move back up. Do you follow the energy and and track it quite a bit, the energy futures, or is that something that you trade quite often? To be honest, if I'm trading it, I'm mostly trading it through ETF form. So for natural gas, it's the UNG or boil would be the two times uh, long, long option there. Uh, and same thing with oil. It's usually the USO. So I don't dabble really in the futures market. Uh, I learned a long time ago that futures weren't for me when I found myself waking up in the middle of the night to think about is if there was a good trade set up. And I said, you know what? Sleep. If I'm not getting good sleep, I'm not going to be a good person here. <laughs> of course, a big side of your business and something we've seen a bit more volatility in recently is bitcoin. Yep. Um you've made some big calls on the bitcoin chart, you know, you know calling for for 10,000. Do you still see that setup? Yeah, I do see it. And speaking of trading 24/7, the crypto markets do enable you to do that. So, I've really done my best, but I I'm I'm not going to lie to people. Occasionally I wake up at three in the morning and I'll pop up and just to see what the Bitcoin <laughs> chart's doing. Um, luckily, crypto is very light volume in the overnight usually. But the bottom line is what we've seen is a very similar top pattern here on Bitcoin that mimics what we saw when we were in 2021. And I think this is something that people are missing. If we zoom out on the chart, look at this pattern, this up move, down move, up move where it made a higher high and then the bigger breakdown. And if we go to this, it's almost like a mini formation of much the same pattern. And so for me, this is just a bear market rally. I still think there's lots of downside on crypto. Eventually, it's, you know, in fact, you're making a bear flag right here, classic bear flag formation. Target near term, 18,000 and change, kind of 18.2 or so. But ultimately, I still think that there's more downside and we'll go to 12 to 13,000 and eventually 9,000. And the, the kicker for this is not necessarily regulation. I actually think regulation, whenever it debuts, will be a positive thing for crypto. I think for me, it's more the equity markets and the risk off. So when we start seeing and imagine, imagine we do go into a recession and the stock market drops 25 more percent. The question is, Bitcoin's trading at 22,200 right now. When we drop 25% on the S&P from the all-time highs... Bitcoin dropped from 69,000 to 15,000. So where's it going to go if we lose 25% in the stock market again? And that's where that lower target comes in, where I do think that we do probably see, you know, 12, 13, maybe even nine. Wow. Okay. So is the reasoning that the regulation being positive for Bitcoin, because that means that more institutional investors see it as legitimized and can move into it? 
That's exactly it, right? So that's why I view it as a huge positive, especially after FTX. I mean, any any institution that was even thinking of dabbling is stepping back at this point. They just can't do it. They can't do it to their shareholders. They can't do it to if it's a hedge fund's fiduciary responsibility of being safe and so forth. So with regulation and specific rules on reporting and, and being open with the books, I think that does give the positive. And that's my bull case longer term where eventually, yes, the equity markets collapse, pushing Bitcoin lower. But at some point, if we are in a drawn out recession, big institutions are going to say, well, we got to make our money somewhere. Well, now we can make it make a case for Bitcoin being the digital gold. We can we know the transparency is there. We can start inching into that and actually uh, accumulating that as a way to get returns during a prolonged recession. Interesting. Excellent, Gareth. Well, I'd like to wrap up with a question. If you have any, you know, easy or maybe a trading tip that you could leave our audience with, something that you've found valuable through the years that you think people should keep in mind. Yeah, I mean there's there's so many and and I love that you bring up that because because that's the key to to success is to be educated, right? So I think the key is this is that number 1 when everyone else is screaming from the top of their lungs that you should be long something or short something, that's usually the time to do the opposite. So start recognizing, be self-aware. Don't get caught up in it. If you feel yourself getting caught up in the FOMO, step back and say, "You know what? Worst case I missed this trade. Maybe everyone out there is right and it's going to a million dollars." I'll miss it because you know what? There's another trade tomorrow, the next day, the next day. There's always another trade out there. And I think by taking that mentality on, you really become more disciplined and you stop chasing at crazy levels, aka 69,000 on Bitcoin or even in the near term here on 25,000 or any stocks or options or anything like that. Be patient. Remember, there's always another trade. I never did a trade and was like, oh, darn, there was never another trade in my life. I'm in like five trades today alone. So there's always up other opportunities. Excellent. Yeah. And maybe that the feeling of being super smart and chasing something higher and feeling like that is going to, you know, make an absolutely meaningful change to your life. Maybe that's a, a time to take some profits, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if yeah, if you are in these type of things and you get that, you kind of hear that meteoric. The, the big thing that we used to say, and this goes back to like my my beginning years of a trader as 20 plus years ago, is that when the pizza guy is delivering your pizza and saying, Hey, I just bought Dogecoin, that's probably the time to unload it. Because remember, information trickles out, and by the time it gets to kind of the 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 retail trader that's going to be talking about it, it's usually the end of the run. That's when smart money's unloading. So you want to make sure you're aware of those signals. Excellent. Great, Gareth. Well, share with us if you could, where's the best place to find you? Of course, you know, at Gareth Soloway on Twitter is uh, is a great resource and, and your website, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, InTheMoneyStocks.com is where I do stock trading and commodity trading. And then Verified Investing Crypto is where uh, Crypto.com is where I do my crypto. And then if you're really interested in learning, check out VerifiedInvestingEducation.com. There's a mind-blowing series of, of educational content there that I put out. It is it is It will change the way you view the markets and trade. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time and your tips today, Gareth. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate your time. Take care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.